Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of AMTV Radio, the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time, and we just talk about, well, all things pop culture, just anything we're interested in, really. And this time we have a truly special guest indeed. I'm really glad to have him on the show. It's a YouTuber who I've been following for some time now, and I think his work is honestly some of the most professional and high quality on this website. So, ladies and gentlemen, introducing our special guest, Josh Schneers. Josh, thank you very much for coming today. Oh, thanks for having me. No problem, man. No problem. And I guess the first thing I always try and address with my guests at the minute, um, as you're probably aware, there's a sort of global pandemic that's threatening to shut the world down. And um, you're based in a lovely Australia, lovely country. Um, how has that been for you, if you don't mind me asking? We have been quite lucky because I'm in South Australia. So like there's only I don't think there's any active cases at the moment. So we're very, very lucky but there's other states that are not doing as well, so yeah. Oh man, that's really good. I mean, I don't know if you've heard much about here in the UK. We're kind of uh, just trailing behind the US, I think, in how we're handling this whole situation. So it's a, yeah. it's a bit of a mess. But aside, I'm glad to hear you well anyway. And um, just for those, I guess, who aren't familiar with yourself or your channel, do you just want to explain a bit about what you do on YouTube and the kind of stuff you make or that you're interested in making? Yeah, so basically I'm primarily a Doctor Who YouTube channel. So I mainly focus on the 1960s Doctor Who with like William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and really focus heavily on the missing episodes of Doctor Who. In the 1960s, um, a lot of episodes, sorry, in the 1970s, a lot of episodes of Doctor Who were wiped from the archive. So my channel was basically dedicated to talking about where they ended up and how we have some episodes coming back today. No, it's brilliant. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen him, Josh made a fantastic documentary about the missing episodes originally in parts, wasn't it? And then you released a compiled version together of all the parts together. And um, it's, yeah. it's such a brilliant watch. So interesting as well, because being a Doctor Who fan myself, I, don't, I think, you know, when you delve into classic Who, the topic of missing episodes is something I think you come into quite quickly. You know, the fact that realization that you can't technically watch all of Doctor Who in its original form because it doesn't exist. But I, I didn't know to the degree of information that you included in that documentary. And I mean, was it just from like books that were published or articles published? You gathered that information or did you go directly to like, you know, emailing people who were around at the time? Like just how do you compile all that information? Because I was I was amazed by how much there was. There's a huge community of people who are just so fascinated by missing episodes. And I think that's the great thing about Doctor Who fans is that we all have our own little niches. So, like, I found a lot of information from books, from Doctor Who magazine. There's a lot of websites where people have gone into, like, bike trails of where each episode ended up and just going from spot to spot to spot around the world. And it's kind of insane how much information there is out there. And just trying to turn that into a more watchable format that could be approachable to fans who've mainly maybe only seen one or two classic Doctor Who episodes and trying to make it make sense to them. No, ex and yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's that's one thing. I think you mentioned it in some of your um your, your other videos as well. How with stuff like this, you want to make it you know accessible to as many people as possible, which I think is brilliant because sometimes like yes whilst it's good that there is material out there that i guess if you want to call them hardcore or enthusiastic fans can enjoy it is nice to bring people in as well and i i showed it to um a friend of mine who i'd say is they're into doctor who like they're, they're sort of into the classic stuff but you know they're not like they don't rave about it they prefer the modern stuff yeah and i showed them the first part of your missing episodes documentary and afterwards they said they they binge watched all the others because they found it so fascinating but i honestly think that's down to how you make it just how you present it if that makes sense because i've seen documentaries on various topics that i'm interested in but they're done in such a way that makes you think oh unless i've got like a near perfect knowledge on this i'm not going to enjoy it so i think that's one thing you do really well and i have to ask if there's any of the missing stories any one you could have back in the archive like doesn't matter like where it was sent to like come hella high water which one would you have I always say the Daleks master plan because yes. it's got so much good in it and it's also really long. So you've got more bang for your buck, <laughs> but also, yeah, I think it's just, I think it's one of those stories that 
I kind of see Dalek's master plan as not like a story like classic Doctor Who. I see it as its own mini season. You know, you got 12 episodes of this overarching story. So basically, basically you get your own little like Doctor Who series comeback. So I think master plan is a good choice. Just wait, give the BBC time and they'll do like a, a 3D movie remake with some random act like Peter Cushing style. Just cast someone really random to be the Hartnell Doctor. Give them time. Give them time. They'll do it. But... Uh, and you recently did a, a, a documentary about the making of the Daleks master plan, which again, absolutely brilliant stuff with information, really accessible. And there was one part in it, cause I haven't heard the, um, obviously three episodes still exist in video form and the rest is on audio. I hadn't listened to the audio episodes myself. I'd only seen the three that existed. And the one line, I think it's in episode six, where is it? The Dalek says you make your incompetence sound like an achievement. Had... It's such a good line. I know. I... It's such a good line. Because that's what I was trying to do with that documentary. Because uh, out of all the missing episodes, the Dalek's Master Plan is possibly one of, the more, one of the more harder ones to actually watch. Because it is so long. So if you're not used to reconstructions, you're not going to sit down and watch it. So I try to go out of my way in my documentary to really explain the plot and do each episode and showcase the best bits like that line to really... So if you don't know anything about Dalek's Master Plan, you'll get it through this documentary. So I think my Master Plan documentary is probably my most accessible video. Is it fair to say, just to be tongue-in-cheek, is the Master Plan documentary your masterpiece? Or (laughs) (laughs) just to be a bit corny? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't really like anything I do because, you know, I'm one of those artists where I just, you know, I I find it really strange when people just love what they make. I'm not one of those people. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, I enjoyed making that, but I don't understand why people see worth in what I do, which is weird, isn't it? And then I'll look at some other fan piece and I'll just think, this is amazing. How did you do it? And they think it's awful as well. It's so weird. No, no, I agree. I mean, like when I make um, more so my uh, like longer videos, like I do some documentary stuff myself, just about topics I'm interested in and I'll enjoy it at the time, you know, like whilst I'm making it and like that initial first few days when I've like finally put it out after all that work and people are like oh yeah like thank you for putting this out we enjoy it like I love that but then it's afterwards you know when you go back and watch it again and you're like oh my god like I I did this like I did this like what is this editing what is this sound quality like I remember the very first documentary video I made about four years ago now um it was about the five main tv channels here in the UK so like BBC One, ITV and all that sort of stuff and I think I did it on a whim. And when I recorded it on GarageBand, I forgot to turn the reverb echo off. So yeah, throughout, good. <laughs> so throughout this whole documentary, like I'm watching it back and there's no background music or anything. It's so basic. And it's like, I'd rather use video, but it was all like still images and stuff. And like, you've just got this echoey audio and I'm just like, no, like why? Do... But there's all these comments like, oh, really enjoyed this. This is really good. And it's like you say, I'm like, why? Like, why do you enjoy this? This is by my, like, I'm like, this is terrible. Like by a professional standard, but no, I I get it completely what you mean. And one thing I've got to say is I really enjoyed um, The Unexplained. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. honestly, like I, I, I'm mad props to you for like when you announced that and when you said you were doing it, I was like, good on you because I think it's so hard these days, in, in especially in YouTube. Like once I guess you find your niche in something, it I think it becomes incredibly harder to deviate away to do other things you want to do because of whether it's fear that the audience won't respond to it or youtube might twist you over as youtube does thank you youtube um but um yeah just i really enjoyed it all the episodes all the the way you'd styled it all the filming and i mean what what made you want to do that was it just like you said in the first episode like the book you enjoyed as a childhood was that sort of the impetus to make it yeah i've always had an obsession with like ufos and that ever since i was a kid and it's something I've always wanted to make and it kind of just felt like the right time, you know, like lockdown hit and I was going through a lot. Like everyone was like, I think this whole year has messed up everybody. And I kind of just focused on making something. And, you know, I, I was having a bit of a moment where I made this Doctor Who video and it got a really negative response and I kind of internalized that a bit too much. So I wanted to make something that wasn't Doctor Who and it was just to have a bit of a break and then come back. And it feels nice to be back again with Doctor Who again. No, it's nice to have you back. And um, you've been having fun with the comic maker, I've seen. The legendary comic maker <laughs> that we've been provided with. 
Um, ah, yeah, oh my god. <laughs> and I feel it would be a shame not to bring up how y- you've sort of become like the gatekeeper of Nissa, the character Nissa, which I think is incredible. I love how it's just become this like meme <laughs> around the Who community. I think you, you, I think I saw you either share something or retweet something uh, recently where. It was like, imagine if the fifth doctor said all his companions' full names, and of course you had Teague and Javanka, but then they like made up the rest. <laughs> it was like Nissa Joshua Traken or something. Oh yeah, I saw that today. <laughs> I, I didn't read the whole thing. Um I think Brendan Jones wrote it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I could be wrong, but yeah. yeah. I was just yeah, like, think... wow. Like <laughs> It's funny because like if like someone on Twitter sent me this thing, if you search Nissa with a gun and you go to Google Images, it comes up with my name. <laughs> as like a recommended because i'm that associated to nissa now it's crazy i i'm not sh- i'm not really sure how it all started i was gonna it, say did you just start it as like a meme yourself that like you were really like shipping nissa as like the best like companion or was it something else yeah it because i'm not the biggest nissa fan ever but like i i always thought that nissa was kind of this character that they gave her a bit of character development in her first episode and then they just stopped. And they were yeah. like, that'll do. We'll just stop right there. So I thought I could project something onto her. Like I could make her into something I wanted to be. Yeah. And so, and then Russell T Davies came along and made her and Tegan into a couple and, you know, gay rights. And then it just went off from there. <laughs> Absolutely. that I love it though. I mean, like Nissa, I think her time in Who anyway, like you say, she had that initial development and then just stop. Like, mm. like I think so many classic Who companions, like, uh, oh yeah, I'm searching my brain now. Like, I guess you know Zoe in Troughton's time, Wheel in Space. Oh, she's really yeah. smart. She's really intelligent, and that's kind of yeah, yeah. We're done. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just sort of it's that like the camp, the companion's first story, and then they fall into that role of just w- following the Doctor, asking questions, whatnot. But uh, I, the the Nissa moment that always made me laugh, in a way, ironically or not, was I think it's in snake dance it's the you know the cliffhanger where like they're confronted and then she just screams randomly like there's no build to it i'm trying to remember what episode it is i think it's snake dance but it's like they're surrounded and no one's like there's no like prelude to her screaming she looks fairly calm and then just before the ending (laughs) theme she just belts out this scream and it always always catches me off guard because i'm like where where i'm like as surely that must have been like a director's note you know what i mean that doesn't seem like a like an actor's choice but um yeah, I don't know. That always just that always makes me laugh. But um, no, I love how I, I yeah I love the meme of like you and Nissa. I hope it continues in a healthy way. Of course, I'd, I'd argue it's pretty. Oh healthy yeah, right I don't think now, it's gonna die. No, oh, I think I'm, it's gonna go on forever. <laughs> have you ever like have you ever because I know in some of your documentaries like you've you've had footage like say from you know Peter Purves and uh, Wendy Padbury and stuff. Have you ever reached out to Sarah Sutton at all? Oh, I never want her to know. I never (laughs) want her to know. Uh, That was a big thing why I chose Nissa as well, because I knew Sarah Sutton wasn't on social media, so there was Uh, no way she was going to find out that I was making these ridiculous memes. (laughs) But um, I do know, because Kieran Hyman, like, he sent... He he met Sarah Sutton and got her to sign that picture of Nissa with a gun for me, um, which he's going to give to me, so that's really great. So she has some awareness of that image at least i'm sure she'd be cool with it i mean it's not a malicious meme at all it's just no. it's just a bit of fun and like, like i think like you mentioned in the behind the sofa featurettes on the blu-rays i think sarah Sutton, bless her heart the fact she seemingly has like no idea what's happening just makes her even more <laughs> endearing as a person it's like god oh, bless yeah. you like you were there on set you filmed this but yet you're still like don't know what's happening don't know what's going on i think that's the thing though because like doctor who fans we love it so much we know every single little detail for many of these actors it was just a job you know like obviously they have a connection with the show and you know they probably had a good time doing it or sometimes but the other day it's just a job you know and it happened so long ago now yeah they did it they got their paycheck and it's like i always i've only been to a few conventions but when i've met people i've tried not to be you know, that fan who asked them like a very specific question about like a specific story or a specific, oh, do you remember when in in, C- in season three episode, whatever, and you did that? Because then I just think they'll be like, you know, trying to, as you say, trying to recall that from like 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, we'd probably have trouble when we, you know, doing that. But um, 
No, that is just another job. And as I mean, as an actor myself, I mean, the UK industry is practically dead at this point. So, um, but you know, I'll, I'll I'll just come. Is there any work going in Australia? I could I could do with some acting work, but. <laughs> all i bought is a shot but if you manage to break through maybe <laughs> i've got family in australia would that entitle me a pass or i don't know i actually don't know how street I, I, I there are ways of getting back but i'm not sure how like one of my friends from the u.s she's coming back but that's because she is like a citizen here so there's special permission i, I don't know i haven't looked into it that much <laughs> i'd probably just say i'm from the uk and they'd just be like no absolutely not go away go back but no that's it and um as you mentioned josh like the like the 60s stuff would you argue is like you know your favorite era or most interesting era of doctor who to look at partly from like the missing episodes and whatnot um what what was it that like drew you to that that era in particular was was it the like mystique of all those missing episodes or was it just the stories or the characters because i think 60s who is very Obviously, compared to any other decade in Who history, it, it stands alone very strongly, I think, in, it, in how unique it is. Was it something like that that really drew you to it? Well, like, I I recall liking the 60s before the Missing Episodes bug really hit. But, like, I think the thing about Missing Episodes is that the story behind them is just as interesting as the stories on screen, if that makes sense. Like, there's... Like, I'm... Like, I, I was... Like, I was looking back on my Missing Episodes documentary because I'm considering doing a sequel to it. And I was like, oh my god, my voice is really awful in it. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't believe it. But, um, because, like, I do a different voice now, but then I was putting on something a bit too much. But I was, I'm considering doing a series where I talk about how certain episodes were recovered. Because I don't really go into that. And those stories are even more crazy like some of the stuff people did in order to get missing episodes back it's kind of wild and how there's like bribery and people holding on to things and you know like yeah it's some crazy stories behind it and i think there's so much more than get it like to get the web of fear onto your dvd shelf the story behind it getting there is just so nuts and I think people don't realize how much work goes on to get these episodes onto your thing. Because I think people just think, oh, they just download an episode from the server, put it on a DVD and it goes out. When it's so much more complicated than that. And the stories are insane. Especially restoring like film, because I think people don't realize they've got to restore the film prints first as well. Like if, if, if you just transfer what's on film, it'd probably look terrible. Like if you just do a raw transfer, but... um. Yeah, no, I mean, as you say, the stories are, like, the whole, I I just can't believe still, you know, with the Web of Fear, how they technically found all six episodes, and then right at the last minute, one goes missing. I mean, you just, it's insane, like, it's it's mad how that, but um, isn't it well known within the, I mean, I've heard it bounded about, and I've never, I've never quite decided myself whether I believe it or not, but just, I don't know if you know this, is it, is it true that it's rumoured that there are some people out there, like, collectors or whatever, who do have missing episodes like is that is that known like they definitely they definitely have stuff that exists there is there is definitely at least two singular episodes in a, in a collector's archive i there is 100 percent um we can speculate what they are i'm assuming it's 10th planet 4 and dark's master plan 4 purely for the fact that they kind of went walkies and they should have really been back in the archive but the, the thing is, we don't actually know how many copies of each episode were made. Because if we look at it, we can see which ones went out. But in theory, there were more copies made in the archive that were supposed to go out, but no one actually bought them. So where did they go? So there's so many questions. And, and sometimes the paperwork lies. Sometimes it says this was junked on this day and it wasn't. So there's so many questions of all these episodes that could be out there. And there has been confirmed sightings of two episodes in someone's archive by a pretty reliable source who works in the DVD range. Philip Morris goes out and says there's six out there, but I don't know how true that is. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of rumours, but I, I think there would be at least two out there. Yeah, and I think with missing episodes in particular, when there's when there's rumors start flying around, I think it's it's very easy for for all of us as fans to get a bit you know too excited because obviously the, even the idea of missing episodes turning up is is exciting. 
Uh, I remember, I think it was either last year or the year before, there was a rumor that was going around that all seven episodes of Marco Polo had been seen in Thailand. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right. If that, <laughs> even if that was true, like that's, I mean, that's, that'd be great. But I, I you know, straight with, with things like that, you know, big claims like that, it's like, the likelihood of all set of all seven at once it's like eh, i don't know but well the I- thing is marco polo is a weird one because if if you're looking about how many copies were made it is the most replicated 60s doctor who episode of all time of the missing episodes it was near is. the start wasn't it it was near the start so a lot of people bought them and a lot of audition prints went out so i think there was like t- there was more than 20 copies made of the serial that went around the world the fact that it's not back is weird it's weird, but sometimes bad luck. It can just be bad luck, and that's why it's not back. But it wouldn't surprise me if it came back. Yeah, just especially considering how much of season one still exists. Like it's only really Marco Polo and those two episodes of The Reign of Terror, isn't it? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, that are missing. Yeah, they're the only ones. Yeah, it's a bit hard because like the reason why like some of the ones from the first season. They were stored at Villiers' house. This is getting really d- technical. So basically, they were the one. Of, let's let's make it really simple. It's one of like the BBC's original like copies. So, um, but Marco Polo was definitely junked pretty early on. No, and I think I think you touched upon it. I think you touched upon it in your missing episodes documentary. But isn't it also true that the the Christmas episode halfway through the Daleks' master plan is reliably probably doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, there's like a 98% chance because basically what happens is they record the episode on videotape, then they tele-record it, which means they, they chuck a film camera and record the recording of it. And they use those to send out and sell to other countries. Feast of Steven was never offered to other countries around the world. It was only ever broadcast in the UK because it was a seasonal thing and no one else would have broadcast it at the right time. So it wouldn't make any sense. So in theory, they only had that one master copy and then they wiped that videotape so they could reuse it. So there's a, there's a pretty high chance Feast of Steven is gone forever. But there's always that little chance that they made a copy for some reason and somehow it's out there. So you never know. Just imagine if one day it's like the Feast of Steven has been found out of all the all the missing episodes. Out of all the episodes. I know. Have You'd we... be furious. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be really furious, but yeah. Um, but in terms of missing episodes, I mean, the next animation is Fury from the Deep, of course. Um, yes. Which um, I know you did, um, again, want to check out, guys, if you're interested in this sort of stuff. You did a video uh, a while back, you know, uh, speculating what might the next animation be at that time. And I can't remember if at that time Fury from the Deep had been announced yet. I I'm trying to think back. It but, um, hadn't been, not during the animation one, but I don't think I guessed Fury from the Deep. Did I? It was a long time ago. I think you said it might have been one of the more viable ones, I think, but I think the... I think I said Evil of the Daleks. Yeah, and to be honest, that was the one I wanted, to be honest, because I think Evil is... Uh, that's one I well, have you listened. Never uh, well, you never then, know. Yeah, that's true. But that that's one of the few I have listened to the um, audio of. I've listened to Evil. I've listened to power as well which of course we now have as a lovely animation but evil i think is just such a a strong story and obviously like you said it's got the daleks in it so that's a selling point i just i think it'd be it'd be mad if they didn't even consider animating evil but as you say who knows it might be might be coming next year along with the next blu-ray box sets that i have to pre-order like five months in advance otherwise i'm gonna pay through the nose i felt for you as well i, I recently just to rewatch. i was re-watching some of your videos and i rewatched the one where you're saying is the blu-ray set of the classic series worth it and just like when you were saying about not just importing it but how in australia they'd like changed you know the packaging to be like really cheap and different like i felt for you man because i was like it's hard enough as it is here in the uk but to either import it or get cheap packaging that must that must suck like really yeah look it ain't cheap but like I've committed now, it feels like I can't turn back. <laughs> this is the problem, and, you know, isn't it? Like once you commit, so it's like you've got to do it. <laughs> yeah, they know what we're like. The BBC know how pathetic us Doctor Who fans are. They know we'll eat anything up and we'll buy it. But you know, I, I do like them. Recently, I don't know if you've seen here in the UK, we've had um, the modern series be re-released on Steelbook. Hmm. 
uh, well, when uh, when the Series 1 came out, the Eccleston one, I was like, no, do you know what? I, I don't need this. And now they've just released Series 6 with Matt Smith. And for some reason, in my brain, I've decided, yeah, we're doing this. So I've, I've jumped down that slippery slope and it's it's not good, Josh. It's really not good. Yeah, I've, I've managed... they look really pretty. They are really pretty. And I've managed to cobble together everything so far apart from Series 1 and 2. Because if you want a copy of Series 1 now on Steelbook... You're talking at least £150, if not more. Oh, my God. I know, which is like, I, I sort of got the inflation for the, the classic Blu-ray sets because of, you know, what they were. But, like, for Series 1, in any form, to go for, like, £150, it's just insane. It's like, but, yeah, it's, um. I mean, I probably will get them one day. I'll, I'll do my best, like, haggling and trying to talk people down. But I, I think I know in my heart of hearts, sadly, I'm not going to get a copy for any less than a hundred pounds and yeah it's just it's but you're right the bbc know how pathetic we are and they know how uh, <laughs> they know we'll buckle eventually like like i did but alas alas um and i i know you're in obviously you love like the 60s stuff like of doctor who in particular um obviously the most recently broadcast season we've had is series 12 with uh jodie whittaker and um did you did you watch the season yeah, I've been watching it. Um, I thought this season, I, I enjoyed this season a lot more than the last one. So that's good. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, in general, like, what were your uh, thoughts? Just fan to fan. Like, we can have different opinions and it's it's all fine. Opinions are allowed because there'll be someone in the comments saying, you're in, you, you don't like hearing bad opinions. If you don't like it, that's completely fine. Like, I'm just, just curious on what your thoughts are on the on the season as a whole. My my general thought is I'm not a huge fan of Chris Chibnall's writing. He's not my type of writer. I get that some people love him and that's great. You know, like I was a big Stephen Moffat fan and a lot of people didn't like what he was doing. And, you know, I think Jodie Whittaker is doing the best she can with what she's given. You know, I, I think the thing about Doctor Who is that, you know, the, the reason I love it is, is, is it because it's because it's the show that it's, it's a show that keeps trying really hard, but never usually makes it. You know, it's a little show that could, you know, yeah, I, that's yeah. what I was trying to say. A little show that could, yeah. you know, it's, and that's kind of what I love about it. But like you put Doctor Who up against like the first season of Westworld and it looks so, so silly. Yeah, It looks so cheap and ridiculous. And it's, it's hard to look at Doctor Who, what they're putting out now and not look at it comparing it to other television shows at the time whereas you know you can look at old doctor who and you're like oh it's little old doctor who it's trying its best but you know even then you try and compare 60s doctor who to 60s star trek and it it's ridiculously different in budget so i don't know like i try to watch doctor who in that little oh it's just this little bbc show no, I think the, you know, the decision with Chibnall's era to swap to, I don't know what they're called, but, you know, like cinema style lenses, basically, that more, is it Anna, Anna for, they're, what is it? Um, they're shooting on, yeah, they're, I just can't, is it Anna for, I can't even say, Anna, Anna for it's Morphic not, it's, or it's something not like that? It's, it, I don't even know if they're shooting that legit or if it's just in post, because, like, it's 2-1, the aspect ratio, so they're not that, they're not that, throw in but i know they're shooting on an re but i don't know what their lenses are sorry it's all right i just i just thought though when obviously like because you see the shift from like you know the end of the moffat era to the start of the jody era in terms of like how how the show looks and I, my opinion is whilst on one hand yes it does look gorgeous you know you get some really gorgeous like shots and images and whatnot but based on what like what you were saying about how you know in terms of budget it just can't compare on a visual level to other shows i think trying to move to that with these like lens changes and stuff i think in hindsight might actually hinder the show more if you get me because by by trying to give the illusion oh we're using like cinema style 2-1 lenses and you know we're we're really grand and all that like doctor who can be grand but i think with with what they're using now match with the budget they have it just doesn't work and like you say you compare it to westworld and i don't know game of thrones or anything like that and it just it's night and day really isn't it i think but well like i was watching deep breath and then i was thinking about how um what's jodie whittaker's first episode uh the woman who fell to earth who fell to earth yeah that's the one and like Woman Who Fell to Earth looks a thousand times better than Deep Breath. Deep Breath looks so cheap, but like it's still it's still not up to scratch yet. 
And I think the other reason that episode looked good was because it was set on Earth. As soon as they try anything more ambitious, it just falls apart. And, you know, Doctor Who can look good, but it, when you compare it to something like Westworld or Game of Thrones, like you said, it just can't compete. And I, the thing is, I think Doctor Who makes enough money that they could put more money into it. I know it's hard because it's the BBC, but I think on the grand scheme of things, Doctor Who isn't a Star, a Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. It's never going to get that budget. But I think it's a Star Trek. I think it's on that level. Maybe a little bit smaller, but it, it makes enough money that I feel like they could put more money into it, but they just don't. No. If it was a Star Trek, we'd be having like six shows produced at once and <laughs> spin-offs. Yeah. Although I must admit, I don't know if you saw it, the Class spin-off, I quite enjoyed Class. Uh, I think it could have got really good if they had a second season. I think it was still finding its feet. And I I think they sh- I think they cancelled it too soon. There was bits of Class that I thought were pretty cringe. But I think, given a second season, I think it would have found its feet. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I, I don't know, I like the fact of going for a more, in, you know, in that Torchwood style of like a more mature um, yeah. spin-off. And I mean, I'd still love Torchwood to come back, to be honest, but is that going to yeah. happen? Probably not. I think Torchwood is dead. <laughs> like... we, we just need to accept it, guys. Tor- Torchwood is yeah. dead. I first started watching Doctor Who. I actually started watching Torchwood before I watched Doctor before I watched Doctor Who. Oh right! So I have a more of a connection to Torchwood than I do Doctor Who. So like, but I know it's dead in the ground. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to bring back John Barrowman to run a television show in 2020. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, people saying that like the BBC may appoint John Barrowman to like show run Torchwood. I was like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, it's Could just. Could you imagine? I mean, on one hand, I'd be curious to see what that would look like. But yeah, in just terms of like a practical thing, the BBC would never, ever no. do that. No matter how much John Barrowman tweets about it, it's ne- it's never going to happen. Big Finish Audios, that's what you're now confined to. Yeah. But, um Canine Timequake will happen before Twitch <laughs> comes back. <laughs> yeah. And that's never going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. We might even... I th- I'm going to say it now. We'll, we'll even get a Nissa spin-off before we get Torchwood <laughs> back. And I think we all know deep down that's the truth as well. Like, yes. So, but yeah. um, obviously the main focal point of the, the recent season was um, the Timeless Children, everyone's favourite. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, there's the big, the big twists in it and all that sort of stuff. Um, again, just as a, as a fan, what were your thoughts on everything that sort of got unveiled? Like, where, where do you stand on it? I just, I just didn't care. People were really <laughs> upset. And I was like, I really don't think this changes a single thing. Yes. What does it actually change? Okay, so the Doctor had incarnations before, but doesn't remember them. It's like, it's like, forget, like, she doesn't even remember them. It doesn't matter. Like, who cares what happened before she was the Doctor? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I thought it literally added nothing. And the whole episode read like the master just pulled out TARDIS wiki and started reading the history of doc- of the doctor. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? What is yeah. happening? <laughs> I mean, no, no, I agree. Like the whole thing, it doesn't really, really change anything because in my opinion, the one point everyone was saying like this ruins William Hartnell's legacy. This disrespects his legacy. In my opinion, like the whole, how I saw it was all those incarnations before never referred to themselves as the doctor as the title so in terms of hartnell being the first doctor that's still technically true because he is the first incarnation to use the title so all these people say oh he's he's not the first doctor anymore it's like well he technically is he's not the first like ever incarnation but he is still the first as you say though i like all the outrage and stuff i was like what is what is the problem like the whole point of doctor who is about change and things being revealed and i mean for all we know this could be the master like lying out his ass like this could just be him yeah i mean i think that might be a bit of a cop-out at this point but you know it, it still it still could be uh the only thing i thought it would have just been more interesting if the master was the timeless child quite frankly just in terms of like motivations and giving him some drive not that i love satcha duan though i think he's i i really like his version of the master but yeah i just that was the only thing i think i would have like change like make the master the timeless child instead but yeah i mean i think you just do a good job at staying away from like fan outrage which i need to take some cues from because it doesn't do any good for me or my mental state so i need to i need to follow your example 
Because the thing is, like, you can't change someone's mind because it's an opinion. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not that end of the world. And, you know, with the whole William Hartnell thing, he's still the first actor to play the Doctor. Exactly. He is still the person who originated the role and the reason why the show is a success today. And do you know what fans do? They always put him at the bottom of yes. their favourite Doctor's yes. list. So maybe yeah. they should be more respectful to the first Doctor because what Chris Chibnall's doing is not affecting his legacy. The only people disrespecting William Hartnell are the fans. Uh, no, yeah. Stop putting him at the bottom. No, I, I agree. Like William Hartnell was my favourite Doctor for a very, very long time. Uh, only pipped now by Peter Capaldi, who, in my opinion, is the best actor to take on the role. I don't know what it was about him. I just, right from the word go, I was like, yeah, like I'm with you 100% of the way. Um, but yeah, Hartnell is still definitely up there for me, just because his portrayal, obviously being the first, when you compare it to everything else, it's so uniquely different. And I know that turns a lot of people off, you know, oh, he's too too grouchy or too this, too that. But I think that's what makes it even more fascinating. And it was the same with when Capaldi took over, because I thought with the end of the Matt Smith era, though I love Matt Smith, don't get me wrong, I just thought the whole atmosphere of the show for me was getting like a bit too fairy tale, if you like. That's the word I'd use, but... um. Because I love the fairy tale bit of Matt Smith, but like, there's, I was happy to see something new. And you know, that's what I wanted from Chris Chibnall's era. I wanted something new, and I felt like we didn't get anything new. I, I was, because I, you know, I, I was looking forward to seeing something completely different. I was looking forward to this completely brand new reinvention, and then it just felt like, oh, it's still Doctor Who. And it felt like, oh, what was I expecting? You know, and that's my fault. You know, that's not Chris Chibnall's fault. That's that's on me, you know? No, no, of course. I, I think it, it is difficult in a way. I think with any TV show or franchise, you know, when you get invested in it and then no matter how much you don't want to, your brain will start throwing up expectations or things you want to happen in your head. And when Jodie started, when, when the first episode aired, what I tried to do was just try and tell myself, like, just just watch it. Just, like, try and have fun. And if you have fun, then great. And to be honest... Is, you know, is an era perfect? No, but then arguably no era of Doctor Who is perfect. There's always... Oh, yeah. oh yeah. God, no. It's like people who say, and again, just an opinion, so Tom Baker fans, please don't come and lynch me on Twitter or anything. Um, you know, everyone's like, Tom Baker, you know, greatest Doctor ever, uh, flawless, flawless. Great, if you believe that, cool. I think the key to time season is such a drag. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. Like, I know it's like a series arc and everyone's like, oh, it's a series arc. 26 episodes like <laughs> I, I don't know what it is especially oh, look, when go on go on everything after Keita time boring as hell for Tom Baker Ooh. you can tell he doesn't want to be there <laughs> you can tell that no one is putting there's no money everything looks cheap as hell it is the worst and, it, and it's only so bad because the early Tom Baker's everything before Keita time looks so much better and that's because you know they had people like Philip Hillcliffe who knew how to use that budget. They they got the right people and the right directors, the right writers, and you know Tom Baker was on his A game and everything was right. And then for some reason, after Key to Time, there was just no money. And you know that's not to say all of it was bad. You know, like City of Death is brilliant, and I think one of the best episodes of Doctor Who of all time. But you know, like I don't know, <laughs> Nightmare of Eden. <laughs> horns Ooh. of horns of naimon okay that's that. a classic oh un <laughs> underrated classic of course yeah but <laughs> even for the overacting but um no you're right i mean like you get the first half of his era you know like you've got like the sets of planet of evil you know which like look yeah. fantastic oh, stunning and then you've got destiny of the daleks <laughs> so, i mean i've got to admit oh. i've got a big soft spot for destiny i don't know why or what it is but I just feel like I can't hate on Destiny. Like, I, it's just, it's too cheap. It's too silly that I just, like, everyone's along for the ride. You've got Davros with a very vague hint of a Scottish accent, uh, well, to my ears anyway. <laughs> You've got Tom Baker saying spack off for seemingly no oh, reason yeah. whatsoever. Um, you've got the actors who, you know, when they're lined up and the Daleks are killing them and you've got like the extras like smiling as they as they get killed. And it's just <sighs> it's it's so wonderfully stupid that I can't not hate on it. So, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And um, obviously, I, I don't know if you've seen just thinking of Destiny because it's brought it to my head now. Um, I did a video a few weeks ago. Um, you might not have seen it, but um, I'm not sure if you're aware in the late 90s over in the UK on Channel 4, there was a... Uh, a segment of a show called TV Offal, which was like doing skits and edgy comedy and stuff. 
um, called the Gay Daleks. I don't know if you've heard of that before. <laughs> That's, that sounds familiar. What is oh, that? Oh, what boy. happens? Uh, bear in mind, this is 1998, so, you know, 20 years oh, ago. I'm not easily offended, so it's uh, oh, oh, that's cool, that's cool. Um, basically, it's... <laughs> It's like a two-minute skit in each episode where it's these two Daleks basically insulting each other, calling each other vicious old queens and talking about who they're going to pick up at Tesco's and they love Michael Portillo (laughs) and uh, basically like raging stereotypes basically for 1998. And each episode, if you call it that, culminates in them getting a... I've got to do this in a PG way. uh, Getting very excited and... uh, Oh, good. You know how... You know in Resurrection of the Daleks when they use the Mavellan virus on them and all that white stuff comes out of them? Oh, good. Yeah, imagine where this is going. Imagine that clip in a non-PG context and you have yeah, good. the gay Daleks skit. Yeah, you can. They're all on YouTube and I did a video reacting to it. But, I mean, my view on that is like, yeah, whilst it is like, you know, raging stereotypes, and it, it'd never be made today. Like, no way. I'm surprised the Terry Nation estate even gave them the the chance to do this or maybe they didn't who knows but yeah it's just it's a i love little doctor who oddities like that and i think you've done like doctor who oddity videos as well you know just like things spun off from the franchise that are just so bizarre that you're like why does this exist it was one of those like i mean the um have you seen the john pert we corporate video he did in the early 80s oh which, yes yeah oh what a moment <laughs> what, what a yeah, moment look, yeah what a moment oh people were people were like so it was weird. There was a weird reaction to it where people were saying that people were upset that he said it. And my rea- all I saw people say, oh, this is so ridiculous. I didn't see any outrage. So I don't know what that was about. No, I mean, all he just said one, well, he said one inappropriate phrase at the end. I mean, my view on it, I did a video on that as well. But all, all I said was like, you know, it happened 40 years ago. Was it, you know, do I think it's wrong to say that to a woman? Like, yes, but can we do <laughs> yes. anything about it? No. Like, can we cancel John Pertwee? Well, for one, the man's dead. Uh, has been dead <laughs> for 25 years nearly. Severely cancelled. Seve- you know, severely cancelled. <laughs> oh, I just, this whole thing about cancel culture, man, it's just, I think it's escalated to to a point now where it's just getting silly. I don't know what you think, like, in all in all forms of media, like, I think cancel culture is two separate things that people put together. There's cancel culture where it's like bringing up something that happened 40 years ago, which is just ridiculous. No one's getting upset about that. And then there's holding people accountable for saying stupid things. Like JK Rowling is saying, oh, everyone's having a go at me. It's like you're openly saying transphobic things and no one's pulling your books. No one's stopping you getting your licensee. Nothing is affecting her apart from people saying, I don't agree with what you're saying online. All she is doing is upsetting people when saying you shouldn't be saying this. And that's it. And there's, she's literally lost nothing. She is still a millionaire. All she's, all she's experiencing is backlash, which is normal. I don't think she's experiencing cancel culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it like, sorry, I was just thinking like, so you think like the term cancel culture is now being used for things that aren't necessarily cancel culture. It's just being used as like a blanket term for any form of, criticism or or backlash yeah like if if someone was like oh josh i don't like your voice i'm like oh i can't believe people are trying to cancel me that's not canceling that's just someone's criticism of me and you know what i do with that i ignore it i move on because they're allowed to have that opinion i'm not gonna go out and say oh i'm being cancelled oh no because you know that's one person who's not going to subscribe to me who cares it's the internet if people are being mean to you, just block them. Yeah, it's not it, that it's deep not the at the end, end of, the of the day, is it? Yeah, it's just no, not it's that not. deep. So, but uh, on that thing of like you know YouTube comments and stuff like that, um, I, I think um, you you put on Twitter the other day how you seem to think you know after you posted the unexplained how that might have messed with like your place in the algorithm. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've I've experienced this as well with uh, like when I make something different. Um. Does that as a from like creator to creator does that sort of de-incentivize you to making more stuff like that or does it fuel you on because i know when i've had it before when i make something like wildly different from the norm and that happens i sort of sometimes get like oh well you know what's the point in doing anything different if youtube or no one else is bothered and i know i shouldn't think like that but i think you know it's hard sometimes when you're faced with that so i just if you don't mind me asking of course we don't have to go into it if you don't want to but i'm just curious as a creator to another creator how 
how does that drive you or does it de-incentivize you? Well, like social media has infected us so much that if we don't get a certain amount of likes or a certain amount of views, we feel like a failure. And like with The Unexplained, I'm not going to do a second season because it didn't do well. Because, you know, there's this... YouTube punishes you if you make things that isn't getting the click-throughs. Because the algorithm... It makes sense if you look at it from a scientific and like analytic perspective. Because, you know, when I upload an episode of The Unexplained, the majority of my audience are Doctor Who fans. So when they see The Unexplained come up, they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to click onto that because I want to watch Doctor Who. So my click-through rate is lower. Therefore, YouTube thinks, oh, this isn't good. So, and you know, we've... It's that... It's hard to explain because there's like a sort of like an adrenaline to being popular online. You know, getting those lights, getting that thing. And, you know, because... You know, before my YouTube kind of took off, like I was kind of screaming out into the void. So I made whatever I wanted. Whereas now I feel like everything has to be a certain level of professional because all my comments are like, wow, it looks so professional and yada, yada, yada. So I feel like I have a standard I have to hit and it, it takes away some of the fun. And, you know, but, you know, I, I when I was making The Unexplained, I knew it wouldn't be successful. I, I know exactly, every video I make, I know exactly how many views I'm going to get. I know exactly what the reaction is going to be because I understand how YouTube works and I understand my audience. So when I was making The Unexplained, I knew I'm not going to get over 2,000 views for each video. I knew that and I was like, don't think about that. Just make something you want to make. It was something to do. Whereas my Dark's Master Plan documentary, I knew it would hit 20,000 views within a certain period of time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's, uh, it, we, we just, we know how it works. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same. I mean, one of the big reasons my channel expanded was um, I do a lot of videos on television idents, you know, like the bumpers before a program and stuff, because I, I don't know why. I've just always found them fascinating. And that caused me a lot of growth. And I have, I, I have two shows that I try and do weekly to, you know, cover that basically. But I think when you do episodic things like that, you know, when you say, right, I'm going to do one a week or two a week, whatever, there does, of course, come a point where you either feel a bit, you know, burnt out by it or you just don't feel as enthused about it anymore. And I've always tried to just, like you said about The Unexplained, just tell myself, don't think about the views. Just like if you want to make something that's a bit different, do it. But as, as you say, YouTube sadly does punish the creator who does that. And then it just makes it even... Harder to, I mean, I envy those creators who are like, you know, huge, who can essentially just make whatever they like. And, you know, it doesn't matter. They'll get views. And I'm not saying like, oh, I need like 5 million subscribers. I'm not saying that. But I, that's that's one luxury they get that I, I envy massively. Like just that ability to make oh, whatever they want and get. Uh, I mean, uh, are you familiar with iDubs, the YouTube uh, guy? I know the name. Yeah. Oh, but... yeah. Is that, is that the guy who did the jump? And he was like, I'm gay. Yeah. Is that the guy? Uh, yeah. yeah. The, the legendary green man <laughs> meme. But um, yeah, <laughs> he, he started doing like uh, like bad unboxings and like reviewing bad Kickstarters and stuff. And he did a content cop series where he basically just critiqued other channels. Um, but now he's he does more like he does like full length documentaries, like an hour about different people he finds interesting, like completely different to his early stuff. But he's reached that zenith, of course, where now like he'll, that'll still get millions of views because he's he's reached that that summit. So I mean, uh, I mean, I hope you reach that one day, honestly, because I mean, as I say, as as a viewer of yours, like the unexplained, I thought was brilliant in terms of everything, like the the pacing, the production, the way you presented it, just just everything. And uh, like, whilst I am sad that you're not going to do a second season, which I understand completely, like I get it, it's a lot of time and effort, etc. But um, I do hope you reach sort of like a zenith point where you can just, you know, feel more free to to make stuff. I think you find a good like middle ground, though, when you say like, oh, I feel all my videos have to be a certain level of professional. I love like the more like casual ones you do, like when you did, you know, the companion tier list. Yeah. Well, you with that one as well, um, that one got a lot of dislikes because um, it's a funny story. So I put it on Twitter and Lisa Bowman, you know, who plays um, Bernie Summerfield, she found it and realized she wasn't on the list or someone tagged her in it or something. Oh, no. And then she had this status saying, like, I've been doing Big Finish for this long and I wasn't even included in the list. And I and I was like, I didn't make the tier list. I used it from someone else. And I hope you know that I'm obviously a big fan of Bernie Summerfield. I have heaps of Bernie Summerfield audios. 
but like ever since she posted that, I got heaps of dislikes after oh, that. Oh god! And so you know, and there was a lot of negativity on that video, and people were really angry with what I said, and I and I was really surprised because I thought I made it very clear that every opinion that I put in that wasn't genuine. Yeah. And it, and I realized, and I wrote that this is satire at the beginning, and it's in the description and everything, and it, even in the video title, but um. And it, it really, yeah, what I, I enjoyed making it, but I realized I don't think my audience completely gets my sense of humor, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a shame because, I mean, I watched, I like you said, you put the thing at the beginning, but I knew from like the way you were talking, like, you, you know, you were memeing, you yeah. were just, you were being ironic yeah. or just telling a joke. And I think, sadly, again, as you say, it's like no matter how much you put it in a description, there, there are just going to be some people who, I mean, uh, I won't get that into it because I, the drama's not worth it, but I, I had a very short-lived series recently on my channel called Toxic Channels because I was fascinated by... I was having a resurgence with the commentary community, you know, people who critique other channels. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to try that, but not be nasty, you know, like not personally nasty. I want to do a constructive opinion on why I think these channels are toxic. And I did one on another person who does... Uh, like well pop culture videos but more known for their doctor who stuff i won't name who and again i thought i was being you know really constructive i didn't personally attack him for anything i didn't agree with his views that was how i was framing it and i said at the beginning i said at the end i had it in the description you know please do not go and send this channel hate this is just a constructive opinion and uh you know his circle of friends that he has came after me in the comments and on twitter and stuff and I mean, well, I'm not doing the series anymore, but it just, it made me realize, like, no matter how clear you try and make your intention and how, no matter how much you think it, especially in the medium of text on social media, sadly, there are always going to be some people who don't see it that way. And, um, yeah, so I know exactly what you mean on, on that front. Um, but Yeah, because that's, that's kind of why I, that's why I took a bit of a break from YouTube, because I made a video talking about how, um, how a lot of fans were like calling for the show to be cancelled and that because it wasn't for their particular taste. And I was trying to say like, and you know, the video was actually well received until like a group of people who didn't actually watch my video decided to get really angry because the video was about how, like, because I was like, look, I'm not a huge fan of the show at the moment, but in the end of the day, I don't think the show should be cancelled because of my own personal taste. Because I, just because I think it's poorly written doesn't mean everyone feels the same. You know, there's, and I was talking about how like one man's trash is another man's treasure. You know, like I, I've met people who said Jodie Whittaker is their favorite doctor. People who said Christian was their favorite showrunner and they think the show is the best it's ever been. And their opinion is no less valid than mine, you know? And there was a small little, little group of people who came after it and said, oh, you're just a chibnall shield or or whatever that nonsense all about i'm like did you watch the video because i said i don't like it (laughs) yeah i hate that it's this it's almost this one this one rule for like if i just try and claim that i like because i like jodie as the doctor like in terms of her portrayal whatever yeah the writing isn't my favorite era of writing but i like her as the doctor but if i say that in defense i'm like oh well you're a jodie bot then like you're a shill to her like you just you're just doing it and it's like no i i genuinely like what can i do to convince you that i just genuinely like her performance regardless of the fact the thing is you can't you know. convince them because they're set in their ways they they see it as black and white they think you either love it or you hate it and there's shades of gray and i don't so that's why i don't interact with her i try i i mute like not my doctor and all that type of stuff on twitter because i just don't want to see it I don't want to be involved. I'm not on their radar and, and, I'm, and I'm happy that I'm not. But, you know, every now and then they think I'm one of them just because I'm, <laughs> I, I guess I look like what they think I look like, you know? But, but it's this, it's that thing, like one of them. Why is it a oh, one of them and one of like us? It's just, they talk, I mean, some of them I've seen have talked about, oh, there's a divide in the community and you're not helping it by doing this and that it's like well you're the one saying your side my side like surely that in itself doesn't help anything uh, oh, you're absolutely right josh i need to stay <laughs> got very passionate about it, this, it just but... <laughs> it just gets you annoyed doesn't it you know because the thing is in the end of the day they're entitled to their opinion and i'm entitled to mine and people who love jody whittaker are entitled to their opinion as well we don't need to fight each other there's no fight because it's an opinion yeah 
I've I've said it before, just to to close off on this topic before I get really explosive. Um, it's the it's the thing when people say like Joe, people like Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall are out to destroy Doctor Who. That is their purpose. I'm like, well, <laughs> considering they're employed by the BBC, that is their income. Why on earth would they go out of their way purposefully to destroy the thing that's giving them a job and money? Like that's yeah, it makes no I'd, sense. It's just yeah, but that. That's that. So, yeah, anyone listening, if you want to get in a debate with people on Twitter, just be warned. It may cause you a lot of mental stress, a lot of mental anxiety. And I'm sure from me and Josh, we can vouch it is just simply not worth it. But um, no one wins. <laughs> no. Yeah. No one wins, quite frankly. No one wins at all. And um, I am aware we're coming up to an hour, so I will start to, to wrap things up. Um, one thing I will ask, which I try and ask uh, all my guests is... Um, Obviously, like, as you say, your YouTube channel's mostly known for the Doctor Who content you produce. But um, if there's, is there another, like, is there another franchise TV show or film that's, like, your number two? Like, if there wasn't Doctor Who, what would be your number one? Oh, God. I know. No, you're not the first person to respond like that, don't I? <laughs> you know, the thing is, like, I love film. I've always loved film. But, like, I think... You know, television is is something that I loved first when I was young. You know, like when I grew up, I was watching like so like stuff like Desperate Housewives and stuff like that, which made me fall in love with the medium of television. And you know, and you know, Desperate Housewives may not be the most beautiful show in the world, or you know, it's current. I'm currently rewatching it. That's why I brought that one up particularly. But you know, like I I, I don't think I've really had a connection with a show like Doctor Who. Doctor Who is its own thing. It's something that I've liked for well over 10 years and it's the only thing that really stuck with me. Nothing else did. Everything comes and goes, but Doctor Who is constant. Yeah. No, I think it has that special, as you say, like connection with people, even if there's like eras people don't like, they they still sort of tune into the odd episode because they're like, oh, Doctor Who's on and it's this, it's this thing. I mean, I don't know about yourself on how you discovered it. I owe a lot to my my dad because when it um I first watched, you know, with the revival in two thousand five, and I remember seeing the the trailers on TV. Obviously, had no idea what it was, and my dad, who obviously remembered watching it in the sixties and seventies, said, "Oh, you know, this is coming back." And I was like nine at the time, and he was like, "Oh, you'll you'll like this. We should watch this on Saturday." And I was like, "Okay." And sure enough, like after that first episode you know that was it i was like cool i'm i'm with it i'm with how was i know we're coming to the end but how was how was your introduction to to doctor i know you said it was torchwood first but did that just make you want to watch what was available basically my mum was like you should watch torchwood because that was her subtle hint of saying we know you're gay and, <laughs> and so i watched torchwood and i didn't know it was connected to doctor who i had no idea i had no idea who this doctor person was because you got to understand like doctor who isn't this big cultural phenomenon like it is over in the uk like people know what doctor who is here but there isn't that massive connection even though it's been here since the first episode but anyway, then my friends at school suggested I should watch Doctor Who and they gave me like a burnt copy of their DVDs. <laughs> nice. And then I jumped into it that way. It's weird that. I feel so sorry for you guys with the DVDs, how all the spine changes. Like, I, I, that would oh, drive me. Yeah, absolute mess. But I mean, at least you got them in the end, at least. Compa- yeah, you know. it's a lot of matters. I just, um, just wanted to ask, again, if you're happy to answer. Obviously, as you say, like you are gay yourself. Um, mm. Has that ever, in terms of the Doctor Who fandom or or any fandom, I suppose, has that ever, have people ever tried to like use that against you or come after you because you're gay? If you know what I mean, like I know it's horrible, but yeah, uh, in the comments section, I get slurs every now and then, but like YouTube's pretty good at muting them, so I don't see them very often. I know there's a lot of people who have very strong feelings about me, and I have no idea who they are, <laughs> but you know. What I've noticed is that there's a lot of queer people in Doctor Who fandom and I seem to rotate around them because, you know, that's how social media works. Sure, sure. You, you find like-minded people. So when I look on Twitter, like the majority of them are queer. So I don't really feel like an outsider. If anything, I feel more included. So I think it's just who you see, really. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you do feel like that because I've, I've been in, um, well, I, I think at one point the... When was it? It was like 20, 
10, 11, I think. I was really back into the... I still am a fan, but I was really into like the Star Wars fandom at the time. Just I feel be- between episode three and then the new trilogy, like it was going through a bit of a zenith with like, you know, the Clone Wars series and all that. But I was really into it. And just, but some of the comments you'd, you know, people would proclaim, oh, I'm, I don't like, I'm a, I'm a gay viewer or a trans viewer and really enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. And then like the vitriol they'd get, like almost oh, yeah. unanimously. And I, it was, it was partly a reason why I, I mean, I, I'm not gay myself, but I've, you know, I've, I'm all supportive of the of the community, but I just remember feeling so iffy about it, like just seeing it, you know, like how yeah. common it was and how nonchalant people were happy to just throw out slurs or harmful comments like that. So I, I'm glad that you haven't experienced it to like that same degree, that almost like constant degree in, in the in the Doctor Who fandom. But you're right, I think that but the show is also a very inclusive show. Um, you know, with the whole with everything. I mean, even uh, with Bill, for example, in uh, Peter Capaldi's time. Although um, I'd be curious to know, like, we're in. There are some people who are saying. I think both. I've seen it both from people who are straight and both people who are gay. Um, some people think that Bill in series ten maybe pro- like was written to proclaim she was gay too frequently, almost in every episode. Uh, that's an argument you know, I've I, seen. I, put I never forward, really but... noticed that. I don't know. Like the thing is bigotry comes from a place of the unknown it's because you don't see these people in your life so you just assume everyone is like yourself yes and when you're encountered with someone who isn't like you people find it really hard to accept it so someone like bill i never noticed it because people like bill are around me all the time sure the majority of my friends are queer and someone like Bill reminded me of people I know. And our sexuality, it comes up. And it's not because we're like, look how gay I am. It's just because it's a natural part of our conversation. It's as natural yeah. as talking about, oh, there was this person that I met that I thought was attractive. Or, you know, like, it's just it's just life. It's part yeah. of who you are. Yeah. I can't think of one moment where Bill was like, oh, I'm gay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I never noticed that. But I think people see what they want to see. Of course. And I think it exposes some internalized bigotry that's there within all of us. Like every single one of us is somewhat bigoted, even if, and we just do our best to try not to be. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I remember that whole argument. I, I, it was like an article that popped up on like my Facebook from like the Daily Telegraph, some some dish rag basically here in the UK, and it was um. Yeah, I mean, when I read it, I was like, oh, I didn't really, you know, I didn't stop watching the episode and think, wow, she's made, you know, she's telling us again. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think you're right. It's what people choose to see. And I mean, uh, in this country, on our main children's channel here, CBBC, they've actually done a lot of programs recently, like on their ongoing, like, you know, high school dramas or whatever that feature, um, you know, a uh, same sex relationship or a, a trans couple. But what I've seen the clips of, they're not making a, you know, they're not, it's just part of it. You know what I mean? They're not making yeah, a big spectacle life. of it. But even then I saw someone share, you know, oh, uh, on CBBC show, same sex kiss, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the comments, people saying, this is disgusting. Like you can't show this to children. I'm like, well, if this is life, you know, as you said, this is. like, I'll, I'll be honest. The reason I'm here today is because there was some little form of gay representation on television. You know, when I was a teenager, I knew no one who was gay. No one was out. It was just me and I was so lonely. But I had this one TV show, United States of Tara, and there was a gay character on there who reminded me of myself. And it was the first time I felt like, oh, I'm not weird. I'm normal. There's people out there like me. I just haven't met them yet. And then I waited and it wasn't until after you, till after high school until I met gay people. So anyone who's like, oh, I hate gay characters on television, they're not for you. They're not fucking for you. They're for people like me who had no one. It's, it must be really nice to have every single person on television who looks just like you, has the same nightlife as you. You know, those characters aren't always for you. Not every character is written for you. Do you know what I mean? No, completely. Absolutely. And, um... Yeah, I'm glad you've. Uh, again, I'm glad that you found. I mean, thank you for sharing that with me for a start. Um, I, I, I think it's very powerful to hear, like how, as you say, like just even at that time, small representation helped you so much. Yeah. You know, at that at that stage in in your life, and 
I just hope for a day when I don't know when it's going to come. I'd like to hope say it would come soon, but a day where we can have, you know, um, gay couples, trans couples on the screen yeah. and it not attract this wave of people who, as I guess, as you said, like un- unleash that that bigotry side of them, I suppose. Yeah, I-, I long for the day we we get to that where I actually I don't know if you've ever listened to David Tennant's podcast that he does. No, I haven't yet. He did an episode with you know Jim Parsons, the main, the main guy in the Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he said, he, well, in this instance, he was talking about race, but he also said it applied to him as as a gay man. Um, how he would walk into a boardroom for a pitch meeting about a show, and he'd said there'd be say someone in a high position of power who was black, and in his mind he'd go, oh wow, that's you know you don't see that often, and he said that's the problem. Like he said, we need to yes. get to a point where we're walking into boardrooms where there's black people or gay people in, or you know, whoever in in high positions of power, and we don't automatically go, oh, that's different or that's unique. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think that's where we need to get to. As I, said, I hope we get there sooner rather than later. But honestly, like again, I think with with the content you make and how how passionately you speak about these subjects, I think you're you're part of help. You're part of helping this process come to fruition. So. Uh, I hope you take you, you know I hope you're proud of that because I think it's I think it's very admirable and yeah oh man this got powerful so <laughs> um <laughs> but no um but yeah honestly Josh thank you so much for coming on today it's been a real pleasure to talk oh, to you and thank you for sharing everything you have with me I really do appreciate it and um would you like to shout out any of your socials uh, places where people can find you yes yeah, so mainly I'm on Twitter I just Josh snares. I think there's an underscore somewhere. I don't know. Google it. (laughs) And I'm on YouTube as well. And that's about it really. Yeah. No, brilliant. Well, yeah, guys, check out Josh's Twitter and YouTube, uh, particularly if you're a Doctor Who fan, but you know, if you're a fan of the conspiracies, there is the unexplained series, which again, I will say is fantastic and you should check out as well. Uh, But yeah, go and follow Josh on Twitter, subscribe to him on YouTube. And yeah, Josh, once again, thank you very, very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Not anytime. Thanks for having me. No worries. And for all of you listening, until the next time, we will see you in a future installment of AMTV Radio.